This morning, Acts 3 and 4. Glad you could spend your uh, Labor Day weekend with us this morning. Hope you're blessed by this. Acts 3 and 4, Lord willing, time willing, we're going to do all of Acts chapter 3 and try to get up to about verse 31 in chapter 4. It's one flowing activity that's going on here with some messages and people getting saved and healed. And I think it's really important if we can try to do this all together. So Acts 3 up into a good chunk of Acts chapter 4. Hey, let's pray before we get started. Lord, good to be here this morning. Thankful for the people you brought out. I just think of those that couldn't be with us this morning. Traveling, getting last minute vacations and etc. Just be with them. Keep them safe. Pray they can just take a moment this morning to just hopefully go deeper in you and just look around and be blessed by who you are, Lord, through your word, praise, and worship. But for right here, right now, we want to learn more of you, grow more in you, and pray you teach and we listen in your name. Amen. All right, I'm not going to repeat the introduction I've been doing here for the last few weeks, because if you haven't been with us in the book of Acts, highly encourage you to go back and get the first uh, few lessons of it, especially last week, because we're kind of at a transition time here as a church that I've been kind of mentioning. We've got a few things going on that we're asking for prayer for. First off, Richard's retiring next spring, so with Richard retiring, what does that look like for us? Do we hire somebody to replace him, or is this an opportunity for the church to, uh, for lack of a better word, kind of step up and say, let's see if we can do this, and that money then could be used for missions, outreach. We don't know. Pray about that. Praying about possibly adding on. We need some more space for the children's ministry in the back, which is a real good blessing to have. And so we've been praying about what that looks like. And also there's a group over in Signet that we've been doing small groups over there for the last few years that really feel led to have something more permanent established as a church. And the Lord is really opening some doors with that. So those are the things that we've been praying on and encourage you to keep those in prayer for us as well, for the know the Lord's vision. We want God's perfect plan. Proverbs makes it clear where there's no vision, the people pay. And we want to know what that vision of the Lord is. Last week, we specifically got into verses 40 through 47 of chapter 2 and really focused a lot on verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. We talked about those are the fundamental things that we're supposed to be doing as a church. So often as a church, we can get distracted on many things. Many of them may look good, but we're really just focusing on verse 42. God's word, fellowship, communion, prayer, letting the Lord move. What does that really look like as a church? And these are what we have been saying the last few weeks. Imagine you only had the Gospels, the book of Acts, and the epistles. You have never been to church before in your life. And you only had the Gospels, the book of Acts, and the epistles. And someone came to you and said, start a church. What would it look like? You'd probably go to what Jesus said in Matthew 28 and say, I guess I'm supposed to go make disciples. I'm supposed to see them get baptized and teach them. I'm supposed to, according to Acts 1, be filled with the Holy Spirit and go be witnesses. According to Acts 2, I'm supposed to share everything I have and and just focus on God's word and outreach and fellowship and communion and prayer. And that's what we would do. So keep that in the the back of your mind, excuse me, as we're going through Acts here. What does it really look like? Because that's the church we want to be. That's the individuals we want to be. That's the families we want to be. And let's really just simply do what the Bible says. So we've laid that introduction here over the last few weeks. Now in Acts chapter 3, you get to see a day in the life of the early church. They know this. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Thousands of people have gotten saved. They are trying to live it. But what does it look like to actually go out there and do that? So what we will do here is Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. This would be about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. 
So they gave him his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Just a regular day in the life of the early church. So let's break this down here a little bit. First thing you see, and I'm going to give you a little bit of an overview, then we're going to go through and actually break down some of these verses. You see these guys, you see Peter and John, first thing you see, being purposeful in prayer. They're making time to pray. Now, they were not going up for the sacrifices of the temple. They understand that Jesus is the sacrifice, but they're still going up for prayer. This is what they had as the early church. They had the temple. So you see them purposeful in prayer. So often what I see us as believers doing is what I call reactionary prayers. Okay, something really bad happened in life. I need to start praying right now. Bad situation at work, a bad health situation, etc., and I react to that in prayer. That is not necessarily bad. I want you to react in prayer. But I see these guys right here being proactive in prayer. Giving things over to the Lord before it even happens. You see them stopping and praying about things. Things they know are coming up. Or just spending time in communion with prayer and fellowship with the Lord in prayer. You see a church that prays and that's what we want to do as individuals and as the body of Christ. We're giving things constantly to the Lord in prayer. That's why Paul said, never stop praying in 1 Thessalonians. There's a constant communication between you and the Lord. So you see them being purposeful in prayer. Next thing you see them doing, ministry-minded. Ministry-minded, always looking for opportunities to do ministry. Let's just lay this out there. When you go to the store to grab those groceries real quick, you're really not going into the store. It's a little mini missions trip as you go in. When you stop to get fuel, you're really not getting fuel. It's a little mini missions trip to see who's going to be beside you. Get that mindset that everything you do is ministry. Everything. That's why Colossians tells us whatever you do, Whatever you do, in word or deed, it is done for the glory of the Lord. Everything is. So when you have that mindset, I am available and open no matter what I'm doing. I'm not just going to the grocery store. I'm not just getting fuel. I'm not just going to the library. I'm not just picking up that prescription. I am going out there to represent Jesus Christ to any interaction I may have. When I go to work, I'm going to be prayed up and ready and to say, Lord, this is a ministry day. Yes, I'm going to work as if working for the Lord and work hard because that's what I'm getting paid to do. But I'm really going out there to represent you. And the last one, you see them being spirit-led. Not their agenda, but God's agenda. That's hard for some of you. You're a list person. And you're willing to do whatever the Lord calls you to do as long as God clears it with you first. Those spirit-led moments, though, you're not ready for that yet. These guys are going to prayer. Next thing you know, they're healing a guy. Guess what? They didn't make it to prayer. (laughs) There's a greater spiritual agenda going on here. And if you are that personality that you set your day, you set your agenda, you set your list, you're going to miss out on a lot. You've got to be ready to be spirit-led. So the three things you see here, overview, purposeful in prayer, ministry-minded, and spirit-led. I highly encourage you, when you get up in the morning, give the day over to the Lord right away. One of my favorite verses is out of Psalm chapter 5, where it says, Early in the morning, Lord, you will hear my voice. You will hear me at the beginning of the day. I encourage you to start your day out with some devotion, start your day out with your prayer. I pray very similar things. James talks about how I'm just a vapor. So, Lord, right away in the morning, I'm a vapor, I'm nothing. What do you have in store for me today? The day is yours. 
And I want to be purposeful about it, ministry-minded and spirit-led. Now, take, for example, Friday. Friday is my family day. And so what I did is I got up Friday and I gave the day to the Lord. But I said, Lord, in my wisdom, I got some projects I'd like to see accomplished today. I got some stuff that I think needs to be done. And me, as a good husband, as a good father, as a good steward of what you have given me, I feel like I need to get these tasks accomplished. But, Lord, it's your day. There's nothing wrong with saying there's things I need to accomplish. Just make sure the spirit is leading, ministry-minded, purposeful in prayer. So that's what you see as an overview here. Now, I think it's interesting that this man, verse 2, lame from his mother's womb. We know from Acts chapter 4, this guy is 40 years old. 40 years old. So now, if you've ever been to a nursing home or if you ever have a loved one that's been in health issues, you know after years what will happen to someone's legs when they're not used. The atrophy will set in. And this man was literally, verse 2, carried daily to the gate to beg all day, then carried back home. Forty years old, and that's his life. Someone gets him up in the morning, carries him here. He spends his entire day begging, and then once he's done, he goes back. That's his quality of life. Forty years old, and that's what he's been doing his entire life. That is not what I'm sure he wanted to be doing. And I think it's fascinating that he is laid by the gate beautiful. Fascinating little glimpse into the world here. This gate is beautiful, but yet here is this crippled man that is not beautiful according to the world. If you're wondering what the gate beautiful looked like, here's a contemporary account of the gate. Made of fine Corinthian brass, 75 feet high with huge double doors. That's quite the gate. Made out of brass, 75 feet high, huge double doors. And this is what the guy did. He sat there begging all day. So now he's there. Peter and John come. He sees Peter and John. And he asks for something. Now he's going to get something that he never once ever thought. Look at verse 4. Fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. I think it's really important. Eye contact. Here, just a little bit. Verse 7, Peter's actually going to touch him. Look at us. Touching. Contact. Let's just be honest. We're leaving Walmart, and there's someone standing beside the exit there with a sign. I don't know what the sign says. We'll work for food, need rent, need help, just moved here. What do we do? We try not to make eye contact. We try just to walk on by a lot of the times. Commercials come on about the children starving in Africa, and we pick up our remote and we switch it. Because we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to see it. I'm telling you right now, ministry is messy. And if you really want to get involved in someone's life and you really want to change their lives, you need to look them in the eyes. You got to be willing to touch them. You got to be willing to go to that level and represent Jesus Christ. We spend so much time in our lives trying to make ourselves comfortable and trying to make ourselves not see that side of the world in life. We don't want to deal with it. But that's how real ministry happens looking at them, touching them. I just started thinking about all these examples. Old Testament, if you want to look it up, you can. 1 Kings 17, Elijah goes and raises the widow's son who has died. Elijah literally lays on top of the child. Physical contact. 2 Kings 4, Elijah's, excuse me, Elijah's servant, Elisha, sends his servant Gehazi. There's this boy that died, the Shumanite son. And he says, just go touch the boy with my staff. So Gehazi goes and touches the boy with the staff, and nothing happens. 
So Elisha then shows up and Elisha lays on top of the child. The Bible says nose to nose, mouth to mouth, hands to hand. And I think that's a picture of how often we just want to touch people with the staff. We want a little bit of a distance. I don't want to get involved in your life. I want to help you, but I don't want to get into the mess. I see these two guys saying, you got to touch. You got to get into the mess. Jesus set the example. I just made a quick list in my mind. Mark chapter 7. Jesus touches the man with speech issues, literally touches his tongue. Luke chapter 5, he touches the leper. Matthew chapter 8, he touches Peter's mother-in-law who is sick. Matthew 9, he touches the blind man. If you remember correctly, he also takes dirt, spits in it, puts it right on his eyes. There's another time where Jesus sticks his finger in a man's ear. Luke 22, he picks up Malchus's ear that got cut off, picks up the bloody ear and sticks it back on the guy's head. Luke chapter 7, the dead man's coffin is walking by and Jesus reaches out and touches it and the young man comes back to life. Ongoing theme, you got to touch. You got to get out there and minister. It's not just throw some money in and walk away. So what you see here is Peter and John saying, you know what, we could have ignored this, it would have been easy. We could have tossed some money in, it would have been easy. But Peter and John being spirit-led, ministry-minded, purposeful in prayer, stop and say, there's more here. There's more, and that's what we're going to do. I encourage you to be spirit-led and ministry-minded in whatever interactions you have. There are some where God says in wisdom, no, don't get involved. And we're going to get to that next week. But there's some where the Lord says, I know it's not on your agenda. I know it's not what you want to do today, but here's a ministry opportunity. Take it. So this man is miraculously healed. Look at these words, verse 7 and 8. Took him by the right hand, lifted him up, immediately His feet and ankle bones received strength. Look at these words in verse 8. Leaping, stood, walked, walking, leaping, praising. This is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Verse 9. All the people saw him walking and praising God. That's the purpose of a miracle. It's to point people back towards the Lord. The purpose of the miracle is never to bring attention to yourself. The purpose of the miracle is to point people back to Christ. And that's exactly what happens. They're filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Verse 11, now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's greatly amazed. So you got this guy who's been actually healed. He won't let go of Peter and John. This huge crowd is now gathered. Here is a turning point in the church. What are they going to do? They could take the attention and run. They could take the glory and run. You know, if this would happen nowadays, today, what would probably happen? They'd probably write a book. They would probably, all three of them, go on a little tour of the U.S. and go on TV, tell their stories, charge ticket prices for you to come in and hear what the Lord did. But no, what did Peter and John do? Verse 12, when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? Why are you looking at us? We had nothing to do with this. That's the purpose of a miracle. No explanation about God, and it points people right back to the Lord. You deflect the glory. You deflect the attention. You say, it's not me, it's him. Verse 13, he starts this wonderful message. Now, verses 13 through 26 are a message. I just want to give you the overview real quick. Verses 13 through 17, Peter's making it clear. You killed Jesus. That's his message. You guys killed the Messiah in verses 13 through 17. Verses 18 and 19, Jesus fulfilled prophecies and you guys need to repent. 
Then verses 20 through 26, I'm going to tell you the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. So Peter's message is very straightforward. Verses 13 through 17, you killed Jesus. Verses 18 through 19, Jesus was fulfilled prophecy and you need to repent. And then verses 20 through 26, the prophecies that he actually fulfilled. Let's start this in verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance and did also your rulers. He comes right out and says, you guys killed Jesus. And he's not just Jesus, he's the Messiah. Catch some of the Old Testament wording here, verse 13. His servant Jesus. These are Jewish men that he's talking to. That phrase servant, that catch their attention. Because the book of Isaiah constantly talks about the servant that's going to be coming. That idea in verse 14 where it talks about the Holy One. Over 40 references in the Old Testament to the Holy One being God. So Peter here is saying he is the servant. Fulfilled prophecy. He is the Holy One. Fulfilled prophecy. This is not just a man you killed. This is the Messiah that you killed. What are you going to do with that information? Verse 19, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who has preached to you before. So this idea of this being fulfilled, verse 18, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. So now prophecy has been fulfilled and you guys need to repent. Repent and be converted, verse 19. Those words are extremely similar. But when you break them down, they have two completely different meanings. The idea of repent means to change directions. You're going this way, into sin, destruction, death, and hell. You repent, that means you go the complete opposite direction. You do a 180. Now, what we think is this. I'm going down this awful path, so I just need to change a little bit. So I just curve. That's not repent. Repent is you go the complete opposite opposite direction you change your mind what you think converted means now your life changes so repent in my mind and heart i am wrong i change converted now my life changes it's not a workspace salvation but now i've changed on the inside so it changes how i live on the outside that's what's so important about this now a lot of times as christians we do it backwards we want people to get morally right first we want them to be converted and then hopefully change on the inside it never works that way For the outside to change, the inside has to change first. Repent, then be converted. I read a great commentary on this that I just want to share that I think just does a great job explaining what the word repent means. It says this. Remorse says this. I feel bad about what I did, but that's my weakness, so I'll probably do it again. Repentance is not remorse. Regret says, I feel bad about what I did because I got caught. Repentance is not regret. Resolve says, I feel bad about what I did, but I'll try harder next time. Repentance is not resolve. Repentance says, I changed my mind about who Jesus is. Repentance is a return to the Lord, a change of thinking, a change of direction, which results in a change of heart. That's what repentance is. Boy, and and I've seen that so often. People come into the office and they're broken. Just completely, utterly broken. And they got... Court coming up. They got life coming up. It's this falling apart. I say, what happened? And they got caught, caught doing something. And I usually ask them this. 
would you be here broken if you didn't get caught? And they say, no. Then I say, that's not repentance. You're just sad you got caught. Guys come in and their marriages are falling apart. Wives come in and their marriages are falling apart. And they say something to the effect of, you know, I, I need to be different. Things need to change because if I don't, I'm going to lose my kids. I'm going to lose my spouse, whatever. Okay, I appreciate your heart to see things change, but you can't do it. That's that resolve. It has to be the Lord moving and working. And so repentance is getting to the heart issue, which then changes things on the outside. And so this is what Peter is teaching them. Repent that your sins be blotted out, verse 19, and then be refreshed. What a beautiful thing to be refreshed. How many of you have coworkers, friends, and families that are not right with the Lord spiritually and they want to be refreshed? For them to truly be refreshed, repent and be converted. That's when the true refreshment happens. But verse 18 says, let's talk about these prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. First one, verse 21. Whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall utterly be destroyed from among the people. That's from Deuteronomy 18. Moses prophesying about the coming Messiah. Jesus fulfilled. Verse 24. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with their fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Jesus fulfilled that. That's all the way back from the book of Genesis. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Great simple message. You killed Jesus. Jesus fulfilled prophecies. You need to repent. And let me list you the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. Simple, straightforward. We don't get the glory. God gets the glory. This man was healed in the name of Jesus. And let me tell you who Jesus is. That would be great if we could just stop right after chapter 3. But now you see another transition in the book of Acts. People don't like hearing about Jesus. Verse 1, chapter 4. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They laid hands on them, put them in custody of the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. You have to remember time frames here as you're going through the book of Acts. We're just a couple months away from when they crucified Jesus. These guys listed, Annas, Caiaphas, Alexander, Sadducees, high priest. These are the people that just a few months earlier voted to put Christ on the cross. And they're dealing with it now later. And they took steps to never have to deal with this. If you remember how the Gospel of Matthew ends, in Matthew 27, they go to Pilate and say, make the tomb secure. They said, if we lose this body, this is going to be a bigger problem than anything else. We can't lose the body. Well, guess what happened on Resurrection Sunday? They lost the body. So now they go to the guards in Matthew 28, and they say, bribe them. Give them money to say that the disciples stole the body. And here they are now, a few months later, the same people that voted to kill Jesus, the same people that said we have to take steps to make sure his body never appears again, that in this are still dealing with Jesus. And then they ask a really dumb question in verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? 
That's really not a good question to ask. Because now all of a sudden you just open the door. And what you have here, in just a few short verses, what is it? 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. Five short verses. Peter does one of the most amazing messages you'll see in the Bible. It is just clear. It's concise. And it's just right to who Jesus is. What a wonderful message this is. What a wonderful, clear, simple, scripture-fulfilled message. How does it start out? Verse 8, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't ever jump over that phrase. This is the same Peter that, once again, just a couple months before, was running and hiding and scared of a servant girl. This is the Peter that's been changed. I I tell you, verse 8, that is what changes the world, is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the problem is we see phrases like filled with the Holy Spirit, and and depending on how you were raised or maybe what you think, it kind of makes you a little uneasy. No. Filled with the Holy Spirit is very simply put, Peter has ceased to exist. It's now the Lord moving and working in Peter's life. He's completely filled with the Spirit. And, And that is something that we're supposed to do. Think of what in the book of Galatians, what we went through, that idea of dying, denying, and disappearing. That we have disappeared and now the Holy Spirit has come upon us. And it's like, Lord, everything is yours. It's all yours. My day is yours. My life is yours. My will is yours. Everything is yours. And so therefore, I am filled with the Spirit. And I just realize that I'm just a walking mission field for you. And and I'm just going to let go of who I am and just live and serve you. Jesus said this. Jesus made it very clear. He says the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you back in Acts chapter 1. He told us back in the Gospels, he said, those who lose their life for my sake will find it. That idea of disappearing. So I just got to ask you, before we get into this message in verse 8, are you filled with the Holy Spirit or are you filled with you? When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden the only thing that matters is eternity. But when you're filled with you, the only thing that matters is you. You lead your life the way you think would fulfill you and bring you comfort and everything like that. And that's what you focus on. It's an ongoing battle. Ongoing battle to stop and say, Lord, less of me, more of you. Look at this message. Rulers of the people and elders of Israel. If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means has he been made well? Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. What a great verse. We make it abundantly clear. It is through the name of Jesus. There is no question about this. And to fulfill this, always give them scripture. Remember, God's word does not return void. Your words may return void, but the Lord does in verse 11. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. That's from Psalm 118. Now there is salvation, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He says, I want to make it clear. You're wondering how we did this. It's through the name of Jesus. And Jesus is the person that you have rejected. And in verse 12, Jesus is salvation. There is no other way. What a clear, concise, simple message. Straight to the point. I love it. How do they respond? Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John... And perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. I love that verse. I absolutely love that verse. We were doing some discipleship with a couple and we got to verse 13. And we just couldn't get past verse 13. I mean, this is us. We're uneducated. We're untrained. The only thing we have is Jesus. That's all we got. And the more time we spend with Jesus, the more people marvel. Because we're uneducated and untrained. 
Now, I'm not saying I'm against education. I'm not saying that in any way whatsoever. And I'm not saying I'm against seminary or anything like that. I'm saying these guys right here were fishermen that just hung around Jesus. And they changed the world. And I'm saying a lot of us here today, we don't have that training. We don't have that education. The only thing we have is Jesus. And guess what? We can change the world. See, so often we have a tendency to say, I'm not capable or I'm not qualified. And God says, yeah, I'm not looking at your resume. I'm looking at your heart. Are you willing? If you're willing, I will take the uneducated. I will take the untrained. Hang around Jesus and go see what crazy things can happen for the Lord. But you have to decide that's what you want. And you have to be able in verse 13 to have the boldness to do that. Boldness means absence of fear. We're really going to build on that. But I do not want you to skip over verse 13, the simplicity of that verse. These are just normal people that hung around Jesus. And next thing you know, the world is changing. That can be you. If you choose to be filled with the Spirit and to choose to say, Lord, it is all you and not me. This is what can happen. But we have to want it. Verse 14, and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. They knew this guy. Everybody knew this guy. Anytime you walk through the gate beautiful, there's this guy. He's been sitting there for years. They can't deny it. So what's the only option they have? Verse 17, let's threaten them. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. I always reminded of the verse in Matthew 10 where Jesus said, Do not fear those that only can hurt the body. Fear those, fear him who can also hurt the body and the soul, meaning the Lord. What can man do to us? Man can threaten us. Man can hurt us physically. But ultimately, there's a power greater than that, and that's the Lord. That's who we fear. That's who we respect. So they call them in, verse 18, and command them not to speak at all nor teach the name of Jesus. Right here, turning point in the church again. First turning point, that these men were going to be purposeful in prayer, ministry-minded, spirit-led. Second turning point, we're not taking the glory. We're giving it to the Lord. And here's another turning point. They're not threatened. Don't mention Jesus. Don't teach in the name of Jesus. Verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said to him, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They were not going to back down. They are not going to back down any way whatsoever. And they will keep preaching and teaching the name of Jesus because there's a greater power that we are accountable to. Now listen, we are so blessed. We're meeting here on a Sunday morning freely and openly and we're talking about Jesus. These messages are going to be recorded and they're going to put out on the internet so anybody can listen to them and we're going to boldly proclaim the name of Jesus. There's a lot of places in the world where people can't do that. We're very blessed that we can. You can go into work today or tomorrow or you can go into public places and you can proclaim the name of Christ. What a blessing that is. There may come a time or a day where we're not able to do that or allowed to do that here. But we have to decide what are we going to listen to and what are we going to obey. God's word makes it very, very clear. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That there is a greater power that we are held accountable to. That we need to stop and say it does not matter what rules and regulations and laws come down. We are obedient to what the Bible says and we are obedient to what Christ says. And that's what the early church set the example with. And that's what we need to set the example with. What's the most they're going to do? Verse 21, now they start threatening more. So when they had further threatened them, 
They let them go, finding no way of punishing them because all the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done, for the man was over 40 years old in whom this miracle of healing had been performed. The miracle silenced them. That's what miracles do. It gives glory to God. There's nothing else you can say. There's no explanation but the Lord. And they're going to boldly take that stand. And here's another turning point in the church. After they're threatened, what are they going to do? They get together, verses 23 through 31, which we're going to end with, and they just pray. They just pray. How often when we run into opposition, do we just simply say, let's pray? Verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. I see a lot of things here. They first get together with their companions. They get together with the body of Christ. So often when we're facing problems and difficulties in life, we will go to anybody who will listen. And sometimes it's not good godly counsel and people. And so we go to co-workers, friends, and family who are not of the Lord, and we're then talking to them. And this is generally what happens. Even if you're talking to a believer, it's one hour of venting, whining, and complaining, followed by about 30 seconds of prayer. What would happen if we'd flip that around? See, they get together, they report what's going on, and then they have the wisdom to say, we just need to pray about it. Sometimes the details don't really matter. And we just need to get together and give it over to the Lord in prayer. It accomplishes so much more. We're not going to whine about it. We're not going to complain about it. We're not going to do a woe is me. We're going to pray. And we're going to pray really interesting here. Because the first thing we're going to do in prayer is not pray. We're going to praise first. Look at verse 24. So when they heard that they raised their voices to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. They start out their prayer with praise. They just got threatened. But they come together, verse 24, as one accord, oneness, the body of Christ, and they start out with praise. I'm telling you right now, that will change your prayer life. If you will start your prayer life out with praise, an adoration on who God is. It sets the tone for the rest of your prayer. But if you start out your prayer life with everything that's wrong and woe is me and my life is miserable, you've already set the tone for the rest of your prayer. God is good no matter what's going on in your life. God is creator of the earth and the heavens. I mean, they're stopping for a moment and saying, Lord, wait a second, you're God over all of this. And let's just start with that. And then what do they do next? They pray scripture. I highly encourage you to pray scripture. I highly encourage you to find a verse in the Bible that deals with the issue or problem you're having and use God's word. God's word does not return void. If you don't know what scripture to use, contact us. We will find verses for you and say, this is a great verse if you don't know how to find it. But I encourage you to get in the word, find those scriptures, and and pray. Pray in one accord as the body of Christ. Highly encourage the women. You go find those ladies and pray with the men. You go find those men and you pray with them. And they're going to pray scripture now. Verse 25. Who by the mouth of your servant David had said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. They pray scripture. Lord, back in Psalms, it says that they were going to try to fight you and threaten you. You're not shocked by this. Verse 27, you're sovereign. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Sure, Pilate and Herod voted to put Jesus to death. But verse 28, your hand, 
Your purpose was done, Lord. You are sovereign. Now they finally get to their request. Verse 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats. Grant to your servants that with all boldness we may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What do they pray for? They pray for boldness, absence of fear. Absence of fear to do what? Verse 29. Speak your word. That's the boldness. That's what you're praying for. When you are threatened, Lord, help me to be more bold to take a better stand for you. Because I want to give you the glory. I want to stand for you. And look at this response, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. What an answered prayer. The Holy Spirit fills them. They are speaking the word of God with boldness, absence of fear. And they were together. There's a oneness with this. There is no island Christians. There's no solo Christians. We're the body of Christ working together, being filled with the Spirit, being prayerful. And Lord, we want to speak your word. There's nothing in here about, Lord, keep us safe. Lord, make them stop. No, Lord, give us boldness to take a stand for you. What an amazing example the early church set. Now, there's going to be some prayer requests coming up where they do pray for safety. They do pray for God's mercy. But right here, right now, they stop and realize, Lord, we just need boldness. We need boldness to take a stand for you. And what a prayer of, Lord, we praise you, we pray scriptures, and then we come back and we say, Lord, now just move. Now, what I want to do with this as we get ready to close, I just want to remind you, I hope you take Acts 3 and 4, And I hope you say, this is what I want in my life. I want to be purposeful in prayer. I want to have spirit-led ministries. I want to have the Lord take care of my agenda and be ministry-minded. And I'm willing on the way to the temple to pray to be stopped and minister to people because it's not my day, it's your day, Lord. I hope that when people ask what's going on, we have the boldness to proclaim Christ. I hope that we don't walk in fear. I hope that we're willing to take a stand. So what I want to do this here, and I'm going to be in the back to shake your hands. Worship team, if you want to come forward here for the final song. If you are battling that fear and there's a boldness that you want and you desire to take a stand for the Lord, maybe it's at home, maybe it's at work, maybe it's at school, maybe it's with an individual that you need to talk to. When I'm shaking hands back there, just grab me. 